Hi, Kayana here. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast so far as I've really enjoyed bringing it to you. Episode 2.7, that's the last episode you heard, was the completion of book two. Or if this were a TV show, it would have been episode two of that. With this global crisis, we've all been affected and all of us in different ways. Now, personally, things have been quite hard for me financially, as I am a small business owner who has made money through artistic gig work over the past few years, which is a double-edged sword. Sure, it allows me the opportunity to work on my art more consistently, but it's subject to the whims of people who need you when they need you, and when they don't need you, then they don't need you. Hence, no income for you. This is especially difficult for me right now as I'm trying to get the next novella, that's episode two of the series, out to you. Now, of course, you just listened to it here with these last seven episodes of the podcast, but the book is a completely different experience. It was supposed to come out April 2020, but considering everything that's happening, I've had to delay its release. However, I will be making it available to you digitally on our website, of musicandmen.com within the next few weeks. I'll let you know here where you can get it. But of course, members of our Patreon club get it free and early as part of their membership. If you're not a patron but would like to become one, and honestly, doing so really helps me to make this show every week, you can learn more about it at patreon.com slash ofmusicandmen. And of course, there's more information on that on our website. Anyway, I must take a brief hiatus for the next few weeks to get my mind right and get resources straight, honestly, in order to continue producing this podcast. But don't worry, I'm still going to release shows. It just won't be proper episodes from the story like you're normally used to. I'll be giving you a few Q&As and talks about the project, just to, you know, keep you in the loop. Since I am doing this project completely alone, I have to turn my attention to some other aspects of it that I simply haven't been able to focus on whilst I was focused on the art. Namely, trying to figure out how to grow the audience. I have no idea how to do that. (laughs) Anyway, um... Here's a recent interview I did with the chief operator of Sovereign Noir Publications, who, incidentally, will be publishing the next novella for you. Thanks for continuing to tune in and enjoy the show. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the new and improved Sovereign Noir Publications podcast. This is the Black Women Writers Podcast, and today we have a very special guest. Her name is K to the E. We're going to go with Miss Kayana Ebony Brown. Thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. I always get mispronunciations. Same. (laughs) Same. For some reason, people want the O to have a long O sound, and it doesn't. It's more relaxed. It's K ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Kayana. It's K ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
that's that's but that's I appreciate tight. it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kayana, tell us a little bit about what we are to expect with this new episode of of Music and Men. So, as you know, of Music and Men is the journey of Kenya Shaw loosely, and I do mean very, very loosely, based on yours truly. Um, but it's the journey of Kenya Shaw in Washington, D.C. She's a D.C. girl, and she is struggling to build an independent record label while also navigating the worst city. And this is not my opinion. This is a fact. <laughs> the worst city in the country for single women, regardless of race. So uh, she's building an arts and entertainment based type of uh, company. So it's the entrepreneurship side. You get the art side and you get the dating side of it. So with this new release, uh, it is episode two of the 12 episode first season of the project. I don't know whether to call it the show because it is a podcast. It was supposed to be or it, is, it will eventually be a TV show. It is a collection of novellas, so it's a multimedia uh, franchise. So I will say it's the, it's episode two. And just to quickly, like, really briefly, uh, clarify why I call them episodes and not something else is because a uh, hundred years ago, or seven years ago, when I de started developing this project, it uh, I went into it thinking, hey, I want to develop a half an hour scripted drama comedy television series. And I uh, did all the development for it, uh, uh, did synopsis and summaries and all of that, uh, which is called the show Bible, for the first season of the show. And the, uh, the first season would, en would encompass 12 episodes, half an hour uh, episodes. So I wrote them all, eventually wrote them all, all half an hour episodes um, in screenplay format. So it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I decided normal people don't read screenplays. Of course I do, but normal people don't. <laughs> and so I should turn them into something that normal people's eyes are used to seeing, which are novels slash novellas, short novels. So that is why I call them episodes, because each time I release a novella or book, it is one of the half an hour episodes you would get if you were watching TV. Um, it's essentially the same thing. Of course, the book is a lot more detailed and descriptive and all of that kind of stuff, but it's essentially the same thing, same format um, structure for the stories. So that's why I call it that. So episode two, which is set to come out very soon, is called Nothing But a Number. And I'm very thematic in my writing. So Nothing But a Number, uh, the characters take on the delusion of age uh, and they all take it on in different ways. Uh, they all receive it and interpret it in different ways. So we just kind of go with that. And of course, with, with the pilot episode or episode one uh, called thinking of a master plan, it really was about, do we plan our lives or are we subject to the universe's uh, moves and manipulations, if you want to call it, or mm. just the, the universe's plans. Uh, how much input and say do we have in that? And of course, all of the characters in their own way deal with that concept or that idea. Very so. existential. <laughs> Extremely. That is fantastic. I can't <laughs> wait for it to come out. I can't wait to read it again. Um, <laughs> again. <laughs> and I'm sure that our listeners will 
not be able to wait as well. Um, so with that being said, where can people expect for this series to go? How many episodes do you have with this series? And will they be coming out uh, annually, biannually, semi-annually? Well, you know, honestly, if you had asked me this question six months ago, uh, I really had no idea because with the first with the first episode of the pilot, I did everything myself. And I do mean every single thing I did myself from outside of writing it. Of course, that's the obvious, but laying out the book and I didn't, I didn't even have a vanity publisher, you know, someone to take off the, take the weight off of, uh, of me as far as doing layout and all that kind of stuff. Like I literally did everything, the graphic design, the website, everything. And it took its time. And it was extremely exhausting. It wasn't my favorite part of the process, but I accepted it as a part of the process. So I had no idea when books two through 12 were coming out because I'm like, look, I just I didn't really love that process. It was exhausting. <laughs> it was very exhausting. So that actually is what prompted me to start turning it into because all the episodes are written. Essentially, they're not necessarily as edited as they as I would like them to be to present to the world, but they are written. Um, but that's what prompted me to turn them into a podcast because podcasts are easy, easily discoverable, whereas books seemingly, just in my experience, require a lot more uh, effort to try to be seen. Whereas with podcasts, not to say that thousands of people are listening to the podcast and they just stumbled upon it, but it's just an easier way to be discovered, um, pro probably because uh, podcasts, if you are set on a schedule like I am. It comes out every Tuesday at eight o'clock clockwork, you know, and people can expect something from you on a set schedule. And so even if you start off very small, if you keep promoting and saying this is coming out every Tuesday and you respect that, it just, to me, it seemed like it was a better and easier and, and for me as a creative, a more creative way mm. uh, outside of just writing the story, a more creative way of putting the story out. It's way more creative than an audiobook. Audiobooks are are kind of dry. Yes, they are. So uh <laughs> it really is just the book on a flat no nothing in the background. You want it to be as quiet as possible and it, and um so the podcast just gives you a little bit more of an immersive experience um for that. But to answer your question as far as the timetable, uh I still don't quite know, but as of January I signed with this really cool new independent publisher that <laughs> That could, uh, you know, kind of help with that. And we can together work on, okay, how often can we put this out? Because you're not sitting there doing everything from scratch, everything from beginning to end. So we can kind of start to get on some type of uh, timetable as far as when people can expect from now books three through 12. But at least we know book two does have a date. Uh, book one is available. And we can go from there. But again, the story will continue um, to be published slash distributed through its podcast anyway uh, on every single podcast platform. So people who listen to the podcast will be getting more faster. Yes. Because uh, like if they tune in right now, they pretty much can hear um, book two because that's where I am right now in the process with the podcast. They can hear it even though book two isn't out yet. It's essentially an audio book. It's but, essentially but an audiobook. Better. Yeah. yeah. More, again, more, more of an immersive experience as far as like, it's called Of Music and Men, so I couldn't do it without the music. 
uh, an audiobook seems silly to do, and it's called Of Music and Men, but I couldn't use any of the music. Exactly. Just, tech, just from a legal perspective, I couldn't use it. Um, well, I'll say from a financially legal perspective, because if I had the money to pay all those <laughs> those musicians, that's a whole other story. But um, but yeah, so if you know by May they'll I'll be on book three, and we don't have a time we don't have a set a set thing yet for a set date yet for book three's release. But again, people who listen to the podcast will be getting um, book three starting sometime in May. So you know they they'll be a little bit ahead of the curve. But again, the book and the podcast are not identical. So I do really hope that people will get both. Yes. <laughs> the podcast is free, so I'm not asking you anything with that, but um to respect that by actually purchasing the book is a it's a different experience Absolutely. between the podcast and the Absolutely. book. Absolutely. And again, uh like Kayana said, you know, it's available on all platforms. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, you can get it on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh mm-hmm. Spotify. <laughs> so make sure you download that. Make sure you subscribe to Of Music and Men podcast to support and to, and in, I want to say engage, but uh, the, the correct form would be to participate mm-hmm. and experience a different type of podcast. Um, now, Kayana, you talked a little bit earlier about your experience with the mm-hmm. entire self-publishing process without using a vanity publisher but would you call that a literary pilgrimage and if not what literary pilgrimages have you been on already or have you experienced or gone on you know what I didn't even think of that when you know when I looked at you sent me that question and I'm like I didn't even think of that as a literary pilgrimage but I guess it technically uh I guess it technically um would be considered one. I, I guess <laughs> <laughs> initially I was thinking, no, I've never, because I'm, you know, you sometimes you can look at a question and say, Hey, um, you know, you think of it one way. Exactly. And I didn't, I just didn't think of it in that way. So I was thinking physically, I hadn't gone through any pilgrimages, but technically that considered one, but I'll talk about another one. Um, back in 2017, now I'm a filmmaker. Um, I started by doing music videos and got into short films. I haven't done a feature or anything, you know, of that scale just yet. But I do write uh screenplays just as often as I do novels and in more narrative forms of of writing. Not narrative, but I guess prose. Um so back in 2017 I had done this experimental. Sometimes I like to do things that are a little left of center, <laughs> if that makes sense, you know, kind of things that you're, you know, sort of, I guess, I, I guess I would say I'd be tapping into my Erica Badu. I use her a lot yeah. sometimes when, um, when, when I'm talking about something that is just completely like, you probably have to be on the, actually really on the same wavelength in order to really even get it. Uh, sometimes I like to delve in that way. Uh, not all the time, but sometimes. And I had some things on my mind during that doing that spell. And, and I was, I just wanted to do something a little different from like a straightforward, you know, beginning, middle and end story. Mm. And so I did this, uh, I'm always thinking about spirituality. Like that's something that's very big to me. Like really just the thought of our place in the world or in the universe. Um, I think about that an awful lot. 
and even more so recently. But in 2017, I had been reading some different things and and um, I was applying to this graduate school and I didn't get in. But at the time, I didn't know that I was applying. So part of the application process was to do a a short film. And it had to be, I think, three minutes or less or four minutes or less or something like that. Oh. So why I decided to go existential route, <laughs> you know, in you know, hindsight, but I, I thought maybe this was this was different. You know, I, I, if, if you're applying to film school, you don't you want to kind of show the you. At least that was what I was thinking. I didn't want to do something like a typical story. Right. You know, I wanted something that's like, hey, you know, I can show you different things of photo, you know, with photography, some different things as far as like where, what I'm thinking about mm-hmm. and what makes me unique as a, as a storyteller and uh, specifically as a filmmaker uh, storyteller. So anyway, um, I did this piece and I called it, uh, God is not up there. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you read the title, God is not up there, your initial response will more than likely be this person is some type of <laughs> atheist because they're saying that God is not up there. Meaning, you, most people's interpretation is if, if of me saying that would be you think that God is not there at all, mm. and, and that's, that's not, not the case. No, that's not the case. You should put the emphasis on the last two words in that title. God is up not there. up there, right? And so my initial question meaning, will be: Well, where is he then? Well, where everywhere. Is she? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Where is God? <laughs> Everywhere. He's is God is not up there. And so and part of that comes from when we think of God, everyone always looks up. Mm. When we think of, you know, when we think or when we believe that there's a heaven, we always assume that heaven is up. So therefore, somewhere that's opposite of heaven must be down. And mm. I'm not gonna get into a whole thing with that. Okay. <laughs> But, okay, um, Pastor Brown. But <laughs> definitely not <a> disaster. <laughs> far from far from that. Um, but um, I had a, I, you know, I'd sent it to some past, you know, I sent it to some people, you know, just to kind of look at, just to share. Sometimes you just share your work. And I sent it, sent that piece to a former teacher of mine. And I think, again, uh, I, I wasn't thinking what, what is this person going to think? I was just sharing it. Right. Um, and I, I believe that his initial response to it was the way I said, you know, with the title Mm -hmm. was what I mentioned to you just now, which was, this must be some type of heretic, you know, person, you know, like somebody just, this, a non-believer that's trying to say that God is not up there, meaning you could try all you want, but God's not up there. Mm -hmm. And it, it, again, it wasn't that kind of take. And so his response was something along the lines of, you know, your generation is so self-centered um, because with 2000, you think of 2017 was right after the election. Right. So everybody, you know, we're in this and we're in the same place as we were for maybe worse, but we're in the same place <laughs> as, a, as a country as we were in 2017. But really wow. then this is three years ago. So his, his thing was everyone and I'm putting words in his mouth, but this is what I took from mm-hmm. it. As a storyteller, I should be focused on, or you, say him speaking to me, should be focused on more socioeconomic stories, not existential interpersonal stories. So if I, if this, if my story was about something dealing with the police, badgering, you know, something that down, put police down or something that talks about 
Black people's plight or something that talked about the election. Like, that's what they were expecting. They wanted something political. It's, or sociopolitical. Yeah, sociopolitical. something that's dealing with society and not with, with what's going on in inside of us. Interesting. Or at the time, what's going on inside of me. And that's just like, as a Black filmmaker, I do feel like that is the burden. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to always be trying to uplift everything around us. But Black people suffer from mental illness and um, and a sense of place or lack of a sense of place and purpose that comes from within. Absolutely. Um, We have this very complicated, complicated relationship with God that I don't quite understand Black people's, uh, the relationship that we've traditionally made with with certain religions. (laughs) (laughs) This relationship that we seem to hold so tight I don't understand. I don't either. So that's why that's why when you joke pastor, I'm like, nah, not not at all. But um again, this does not come from a place of of uh being an atheist or anything Mm -hmm. like that, because definitely not that, because atheists believe something different. Absolutely. Um and I respect everyone. I respect real even religion, even though that's not something that I subscribe to. But anyway, I'm saying all that to say that that his response did take me on somewhat of a mental pilgrimage in a sense that it made me examine for months, what type of storyteller am I? Mm. Because I knew when he said that, that he wasn't right, but I didn't have a rebuttal. Like, I didn't say that's fine that you like I can say this now, like I can say that's fine that you think that and that's fine that you would expect or want that. Mm -hmm. But my type of stories, uh, the type of stories that I prefer to tell and where my strength lies, it is in the more the more uh, existential. It is in the more Mm -hmm. personal slash interpersonal um, type of stories. And those are necessary. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like just as much as, you know, going on and on about police. Absolutely is necessary. I'm not saying that that's not, it's just not what that's I That's just not your, that's just <laughs> not your lane. It's not, it, exactly. That's a perfect way. It's not my lane. That's not my lane. I don't think, and, and you can't make something be, and I'll just address that later in a later topic, but you can't make something, make yourself be what you're not. Mm-hmm. You can't force yourself to have heavy thoughts about things that people believe you should care more than you care about. Exactly. Like, like they're like, you should care more about this. I don't like, know. But I don't <laughs> Right. I, I, and it's not that I don't care. It's just, but it's that that's not my fight. You, right. You can accept something. You can accept that something is what it is without always having an opinion about exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, and having such a strong opinion that you need to be online or in a book or in a podcast talking about it. Like I think about everything, but that doesn't mean that I feel so strongly that I need to open up the mic whether that be on a podcast or Instagram and talk about it or open up my writing platform, you know, my writing software and talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Not everything has that level of, of, uh, it doesn't make me feel on that level. Mm. So yeah, so that, that was a pilgrimage to discover and be able to articulate what kind of writer are you primarily mm. and are you okay with that? And yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll leave the, you know, the, um, certain things to lena waith i love her i leave certain things to easter ray i love her but i don't we don't do the same stuff exactly there's we're not a (laughs) monolithic bunch we're allowed to you know express ourselves and express different um ideas without having to subscribe to 
what everyone else wants us to subscribe to. Exactly. And we feel you. (laughs) (laughs) We're right there. Um, That being said, with all of the emotions that were probably involved with your pilgrimage, I'm sure that there were maybe times of frustration, times of enlightenment. But I want to segue to the next question. What is the first book that made you cry? Um, honestly, I don't really think that there has ever been a book that made me cry. I don't think I've ever cried while reading. Get out. Or had or felt like felt the need to cry. Maybe it's because I don't read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of fiction as a teenager. Mm. But as an adult, I I can't I, probably the last fiction book I read was t- maybe 7 or 10 years ago. Oh wow. And between that, it was probably that was probably before that I couldn't tell you the last one. I read a lot, but it's just not fiction. Mm. But I will say that the first book that I think had an extreme impact on my whole sense of being was it's a book by Don I think his name is Dan Millman or I think it's Dan Millman I could totally look this up right now but I'm I don't want to (laughs) (laughs) like I could but I don't want you know but um it's called Way of the Peaceful Warrior Mm. and it's amazing how sometimes books or movies or something will have you will experience something at the time when you so perfectly need it like that's happened so many times in my life where I needed a book or I needed a story or I needed a person. Um, and they were, it, and it just happened that they were there then. Yes. And you can't, you know, like that's, that's amazing. But that book, I'm not going to go into a whole spiel about like the summary of it, but the gist of that book has a lot to do with the way we think. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I think that actually probably came along. I think I read that in 2017. So that may have been a kind of a pivotal year that I like overlooked <laughs> for one reason or another. Um, but that book essentially deals with a young man who meets a much older man who he calls Socrates. Oh. That's the man's nickname. He nicknamed him Socrates. Interesting. But um, this older man it takes him on a... Uh, a mental journey, a psychological journey, a spiritual journey mm. helps him to discover more or less who he is uh, and who he is to become. Mm. But it has a lot to do with the control that he doesn't exert over his own mind. Oh, wow. And so, again, really into those kinds of things, because I believe that our mind is is such a powerful tool that we really have no idea how to use. Yeah. And um, if we learned... If we really knew who we were, um, I think that the we would be in such a different place. Mm. And again, I'm really holding back on, you know, because these are the kind of conversations that can, you know, when, when we get into these kind of spirituality type of conversations, those are the kinds of things I really do like to talk about mm. and explore. But just to keep that, you know, within the context, Way of the Peaceful Warrior probably was the book that I uh, read when I needed it because I was thinking sometimes it's confirmation when you get a book like that, mm. you'll be thinking something and then you're like, I don't know if I can think this way. Mm. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Sometimes we don't feel like we have permission. Yeah. You know, it, we don't give our, no one told us. It's just that we feel like we don't have their permission. Or that we're, we're not deserving of that yet. 
Right, right, exactly. And so with with that book, it was like I, I felt like the main character, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like I felt like I was in the same place that he was in, and Socrates was talking to me, and Socrates was like, "Look, you like almost like you have the permission, and you have more power than you know you have." to use your mind in ways to have more control over your life and not be a victim, not accept yourself as a victim in life. And so it's I'm an amazing. Gonna this. I'm going to add this to my. <laughs> and it's not super, it's not a super long book. Um, I mean, I don't know how long it is, but it's not. Because <laughs> sometimes when I think about some book, you know, like, like Harry Potter or like Lord of the Rings, it's not those that kind long. of book. Yeah. Those are mm-hmm. super, those are really long. Even one, one, uh, Chap, not chapter, but one book in the series is is really long. This probably is like a quarter of of the size of one of those books, but it's it gets right to the point, um, and it's it's amazing. And I mm. think that that book really, I'm not gonna say I didn't cry while reading it. I don't recall crying, but it just was it was so necessary for the place I was mm. in at the time. So I I don't doubt that I might have cried a little bit. Yes, <laughs> yes, I love books that give you a good cry. I. I think the first book that made me cry was, um, I, I don't think a lot of people have read it, but I was introduced to it in high school. It was called Billy by Albert French. And it was based on a true story of a, of a young black boy in the South who was accused of murder. Um, and he was sent to the electric chair. And it was just so devastating because everything about it was so wrong. Mm. And I think what hurt the most when I read it was that, um, the 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 part that they put on a head on a head was too big. They had to put them on top of. I don't think they had phone books, but they had to put different things uh, underneath his butt because he was too short oh, and he was wow. crying for his mom the whole time. So it was just really, it was just really devastating. Um. So yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't think I've read a nonfiction book that has made me cry. Um, but I have read some prompts, some uh, self-reflective prompts, sort of like the 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 way of the peaceful warrior, um, where basically you have to do a lot of internal work and you have to ask yourself the hard questions. And you know, when you get to that level of examining yourself and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't for yourself and how you stand in your own way and you get to the point where you you can't blame other people right and you have to take accountability for the way things are in your life Ooh, child that's (laughs) (laughs) hit me on a different level (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i definitely will be picking up the way of the peaceful warrior that's the name of it right yes yes or just way of the peaceful warrior way of the peaceful warrior so would you say that writing energizes you or exhausts you? Mm, both. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely both. It's it's the most, it's the activity I enjoy probably the most. So I get energy going into it. I have energy while I'm doing, while I'm actually writing. But I will say that not of music and men, but there I write other stuff. It's just of music and men is the main thing that's being distributed now, but I uh, write a bunch of different things. And um, some of the stories that I write can be exhausting simply because of the subject matter. Mm. 
um, again, dealing with a lot of things that, uh, that can, that can be <laughs> considered, uh, existential in nature or deal with mint. Like I wrote this screenplay that I'm very proud of. I'm constantly rewriting it, constantly tinkering with it. Uh, cause you know, writers will tell you that it's, it, it's no such thing as writing. Everything is rewriting. Like <laughs> every <It's> screenplay, <laughs> uh, screenwriters know this the most. I, I think screenwriters know this the most that it's not even really finished until it's a movie. So it's like, you're always rewriting. No. And this particular story, um, is definitely, it, it's a movie. It's a feature film. And I would say it probably, I would, I would say maybe it's, uh, this particular screenplay is Goodwill Hunting meets Million Dollar Baby. So if you've watched any of those two movies, Goodwill Hunting deals with, you know, a genius that's going through some mental issues dealing with stuff that happened in his past and Million Dollar Baby is she's also dealing with something that's happened in her past but she's an athlete. And that's um those are probably the two comps that I would use to describe this this particular film that I wrote and it deals with uh, a young female athlete who's at the top of her career, and she's a basket star basketball player in a fictionalized WNBA. Got to put the WNBA on the map. I don't know why this is. You know, we we haven't done this yet. But that anyway, true. so she's a WNBA player, um, and she's dealing with things off the court. And the tagline for that is "Life doesn't have an off season." Mm. So it's it's essentially what happens when she's not on the court, like during that gap between the season ending and the next season beginning that her life is turned upside down by some events. Um, and it deals with some things that we seldom acknowledge mm. in minority communities. And we, we just, we tend to overlook certain aspects of, of things that we need to deal with in minority communities. And this is, it's, she's black, but we have a close friend of hers who's uh, a part of Latinx community, and it's and she's also a basketball player. So it's it's a it's very different, but it deals with things that I think we need, mm. and that's very comforting when you can write, and you know that your stories, the, the type of stories you write, are not being tackled, but it is you're able to tackle it. So it's more so just like you're waiting for your opportunity yes. as opposed to you know what I mean. Like you're just writing what everybody else exactly. is writing. Type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um. So that's that energizes me but at the same time that subject matter was very exhausting every time I do a rewrite I always feel horrible mm. <laughs> afterwards I'm not even gonna lie and I didn't even notice it at first but I've done so many rewrites and for a few days or a week or so afterwards it I do not feel good mm -hmm. like I don't feel good after tackling that and that's happened before with other um with 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 other books or other stories that I've written depending on what the subject matter is I've taken a lot of acting classes. Like my dream, part of my dream is to be an actor. My, I'm focusing on writing now because I want to write the kind of roles I want to play. Mm. Um, because no one else is writing the kind of roles I want to play. So I got to do that. <laughs> you got to do it yourself. So I got to do it myself. But I take a lot of, I've taken, I haven't done it in a couple of years, but I have taken a lot of acting classes. And so part of that being, being this, this person who just emotionally gets into how this character is feeling in order to be able to express that on the page. I think that that's, it, that's hasn't equaled a, a, a good feeling after I write certain things I'll say. Mm. And I know that. So I have to take certain measures in order to come back from it. 
mm. um, in order to recover from certain writing. So yes, I, I would have to say that the, it, it both energizes me, the process, but then depending on the subject matter, it can be very exhausting and probably some other words could describe the feeling as well. <laughs> I think, I think that's completely accurate, completely accurate. Uh, as someone who also has written, I've not written in years, at least books anyway. <laughs> um, there's a lot of subject matter that is very heavy and brings a, a certain uh, energy to it. And it's really hard to sometimes get over that energy or to, to permeate that energy with a different type of energy. So I, I completely right. understand. Um, and those are, those are a few things that writers don't really take into consideration once they begin writing, the, the, how the content can affect them emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and aside from those common, um, I don't want to call it a misconception, but those unknowns for writers, what would you say are some common traps for aspiring, aspiring writers and upcoming authors? Um, I think one of the biggest ones, and I hear this a lot, uh, in the screenwriting community is, I mean, you go to the movies or you turn on Netflix and you see a trend in a certain, for instance, one of the the trends that seemingly has never gone away, but they is, it's, uh, most screenwriters know that horror movies don't require (laughs) a lot of money. (laughs) <laughs> they don't require the same budget as certain movies. You can do a, like Blair Witch Project was done what they say on no budget, but it, it had a budget. Mm-hmm. It was probably about, uh, I don't know what the budget was, but let's just say $60,000, which if you're <laughs> at all in, in interested in movies, no movie that you've watched on the big screen is a $60,000 movie, maybe 60 million, depending on the movie. But most movies aren't $60,000. Um, indie movies, some, but my point is, Whoa. A lot of times when people want to be writers, they try to do what they think will sell mm. as opposed to writing what they either want to write or what they know mm. best. And those are the two things that you probably should focus on writing. And of course, you do want to take into consideration, do I want to do this movie myself? You know, do I want to try to do like the Blair Witch Project people and do it myself? That's a very old movie, but that was one of the first movies that had that kind of mockumentary style and by mockumentary I mean it 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 was made to look like a camera was found and this was footage that was recovered so it was it was very low budget looking but it was on on mm-hmm. purpose it was supposed to look like it was right. amateur it was you know it, it wasn't like those indie movies you go and see and they trying to tell you this is a real movie and it looked like they shot it on one a flip phone so it <laughs> it not a flip it, phone it oh god <laughs> It wasn't that. This was done. Because <laughs> you, you ever do that? You get a friend that's like, yeah, my movie coming out. You go to the, you know, they rent out a theater. And, you go, and nothing against them, but you go and watch it and it's awful. But no, Blitch was supposed to look awful. Right. It was intentionally um, it was shot intentionally that way. In, exactly. Intentionally. But my point is a lot of writers, when they, when they want to be writers, they like they want to be Hollywood or they want to be whatever. They'll look at, okay, what's selling? And their their strength might be in romantic comedies, mm-hmm. but there hasn't been really a successful romantic comedy in years. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about it, it really hasn't been one that you can name 
the in years, like a really successful romantic comedy. So what they'll do is, okay, my strength is romantic comedy, but what I'm going to do is do this horror movie right quick. And uh, that's not your strength. You know what I mean? <laughs> what but you, you, don't, you might like horror movies, but you really, that's just not even your strength. And you don't, you kind of don't know what you're doing and you're wasting time. You're wasting a lot of time trying to write what you think someone wants mm-hmm. um, versus writing again, what you're str- writing to your strength and writing what you know. Mm. Uh, and writing what you know could be anything like you. Uh, I have a, a an associate who used to be a police officer. Mm. So if he decided that he was going to write, um, you know, a law and order SVU spec, just as hypothetically spec script or, or something like that, or some type of police procedural, well, then he's really probably writing what he knows. Right. He's writing from a real experience. Like with the music and men, um, I actually did run a record label uh, at one point. And so part of her story and her journey is part, partly my journey and story. You don't always have to do that. Right. Um, everything you do shouldn't be from, you know, from that, but it's when you're talking about early on or aspiring, try to write what you know you definitely know. And sometimes that might be the only thing I know is school because I've been in high school and college and that's all I know. Well, write it. <laughs> we can never get enough high school type of, exactly. you know, or college stories. We don't have enough of them. It's like, and they, they seem to always work on TV. So mm-hmm. write that. And uh, young adult is a booming. Oh, it is. Booming, booming. So, yeah, so that's sort of a, a trip that people kind of get into um, looking at what the market, looking at what, what's out there and trying to emulate it. And they don't really have a strength in that area. Now, if now if the market, I have a friend who does horror movies. She is brilliant. And so she's just like, like I saw her recent film just last last week. I watched it three times. Like I watched it twice before I gave her feedback. And then she did like this Twitter live thing. And I watched Ooh. it again you know, just to kind of support her on Twitter. And she's amazing at sort of like that horror thriller genre. It was a short film, like eight minutes long or something like that. And that's just what she does. And the funny thing is the theme that was uh, like the storyline or whatever, kind of, now she did this movie like six months ago. She shot it and all that. It really felt like some Corona stuff. And I was like, girl, this thing is like, (laughs) it's a little, it was a little too timely. Like, so sometimes, (laughs) sometimes the world can kind of lean into your strength and you can get Mm -hmm. lucky like that because she's been doing horror for years. And so, yeah, so she kind of, you know, she's kind of getting lucky right now. This latest film is not even really out yet. It's about to come out and it feels so Corona. Like, oh my God. (laughs) Come through. Come on, girl. Come on. Let's see it. Art imitating life, or maybe life imitating art, yeah. or some weird combination right. of Very both weird. of those um, Would you say that <laughs> a big ego helps or hurts writers? Where do you get this question from? <laughs> I just, because there are a lot of, and I, I, I try not to be shady. Mm-hmm. Like, I try to... <laughs> shady. I try try to support all of the Black women writers. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I I do notice that people are not as open to constructive criticism. And a part of it is is very much prideful. A a lot of it is very ego-based. For example, um, one of my, I'll I'll say, uh, colleagues, we were talking about how 
people wear the I design my own book cover badge of, you know, badge of honor when probably only 2% of the time it looks good. Yeah. So, I, for example, <laughs> I said that. Look, I said that, but I was not proud of the fact, you know. <laughs> but your book cover looked good. Well, I appreciate right? that. But, <laughs> however, there, and, uh, you know, we were transparent enough to say in one of our book reviews that had we stumbled upon the book that we were re- reviewing, in real life that we would not have purchased it because the the cover cover. looked bad. And so um, when we we said that, you know, there was a bit of a, it was a bit of a hot take, Mm. you know, people were, you know, I'm proud of my book. I'm very, you know, but at the same time, you want it to be competitive. Um, But you also want to be, you know, confident in your, your work, so what what is your take? Do you think that a big ego helps or hurts writers? Um I I generally try not to be very judgmental, so I don't I feel like if it works for you then then that's okay. Like for instance, if you happen to have a big ego and you're selling millions of books, well then so then you have a big ego and you're selling millions of books. If you happen to have a small ego and you're not selling enough books, mm. i.e. me, <laughs> <laughs> then maybe you have something. I, I just feel like you have something. We all have something to learn from every experience and every person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just try to learn from people and not necessarily write them off or judge them or anything like that. Um if something is not working in your life, then yeah, you you probably do want to look at it so if they have a big ego and their books are not selling and it's you mm-hmm. know they they just walking around chest out then then maybe you you want to look at yourself a little bit more you want to look you want to take a step back back and look and and honestly that's what happened with me like I didn't have a big ego probably wasn't big enough and mm-hmm. I wasn't selling enough books and I had done everything on my own mostly because it was honestly it was easier, even though I mentioned earlier that it was hard, the process was difficult, but it was easier to try to do that when you don't have money and you do have experience in graphic design and you do have past experience in layout because I had done a lot of freelance. So it wasn't that I had to go and learn how to use InDesign or learn how to use Photoshop. I already knew how to use those things. So the reason why I chose myself to design my book and chose myself to lay it out because I knew how to do it and I didn't have the money to pay someone. That was the only reason. I, I'm a filmmaker. I love collaborating. I love to, to work with experts who are experts at their thing because I know mm-hmm. what I'm good at and I know what I'm okay at and I know what I'm bad at. So I like to work with, I'd rather have a team of people who are all good at their thing and I can focus on my thing and we have this great team versus I'm an A at writing, but then I might be a D at like graphic design. I might be an A minus oh. at layout, but then I might be an F at marketing, you know, and this is true story to no end, (laughs) you know, but, um, so I did everything only because of necessity, Mm. you know, I put call my own number because only out of necessity, but it's just like, I had to step back because I'm like, I got these books that I think are really good. It's getting good feedback from people that don't know me. So I need to find uh, a publisher. I didn't know. I was actually looking for 
I was looking for a few things. I was looking for independent publisher. This is right before I met you, like a month or two before I met you. I was looking for both indie publishers because I felt like I would rather um, work with an indie publisher because they may have, they may be more open to my own creative input mm-hmm. and it's less mouths to feed, you know, like when, once the money starts rolling in. Mm-hmm. And, but then at the same time, I, I couldn't overlook, like I should be maybe looking for a, a literary agent to get, you know, I know the process for getting with one of the big publishers takes a long time. But I still was looking at agents too. I hadn't, I don't think I, I think I queried like one person before I met you. I've queried people in the past, like mm-hmm. a long time ago, but I think right before I met you, I queried like this one person who I heard an interview with. Cause that's how I am. I'm not querying a bunch of people I don't know if I'm alike. Like I gotta know a little uh, bit more. Uh-huh. And it was this one lady over at Three Arts that um, and I don't do comedy. I know they focus a lot on comedy, but she her thing was she she worked with female writers a lot and three arts is a really great company and i think i I queried this one person and i never heard back and then it was just like i think i met you maybe three or four weeks after i queried her so i never even followed up and so i was like okay indie publisher yeah it was just like indie publisher and ironically we met on like this global platform you happen to be in the area we were able to meet in person everything just kind of fell in line with that so um <laughs> so yeah I never even reached back out to her or any of the other people I had on the because I had a list of people I wanted to reach out to never even bothered to reach back out to any of them but anyway again to answer your question as far as the ego is concerned I had to didn't have a bunch of ego going into it but I did have to look inside and say look is what you're doing getting you what you want Mm. And the question, if the answer to that question is no, which for me it wasn't. Mm. Like I had these great books, at least in my opinion, they were, and they just sit in there and you know, <laughs> not selling or either no idea how to put them out. I'm like, hey, you need to start looking at other ways to get this done. So I I, I really like that quote. Is what you're doing getting you what you want? <laughs> it's a very important question. One of those. Maybe it can be seen as existential, but it's also a very, (laughs) that seems to be the theme here. Right. But I I think that's definitely something that people should ask themselves. Um, In regard to their books and whether their, you know, ego is big enough or whether their ego is not big enough. Right. As well as uh, on a larger platform and a larger scale uh, on a more universal level. Right. I like that. I like that. Hmm. I wrote that down. Cool. My next question is, my next question, I'm going to put this on our our Instagram. (laughs) Our next question is, (laughs) what is your writing kryptonite? Probably my kryptonite in life is anxiety or stress Mm. or mixture of both. Um, I, I try to take measures to, I'm like a preventative maintenance person. I'm mm-hmm. huge on that in, in every aspect of my life. Like I try to combat something before it is something. Mm. And so I try not to get stressed. Um, I try not to uh, become overwhelmed with anxiety. And so it, it, when I do, because you don't always win that fight, <laughs> it does affect how usually the speed and the depth of my writing, like generally mm. speaking, if, if I'm given or, and I'm saying given, and I, and I mean that in a sense of like spiritually given, I, I, I believe in 
the subject matter, like everything, my stories and everything comes from a deeper place. And so when, when a story comes to me, um, I can generally write it fast. Sometimes I can't write it fast enough. Like it really Mm. is the whole thing just kind of has to pour through. But if I'm stressed, I'm usually overwhelmed with something that I probably shouldn't be overwhelmed with. And so my writing can take a backseat. Again, it does not happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even recall the last time that, well, I, actually I can't, it was earlier this year. <laughs> and fortunately I wasn't in the middle of anything big. I wasn't in the middle of like a big writing project with a deadline or even a mental deadline or anything like that. I was sort of writing the, uh, for the podcast, I do a cold open. So I was writing those and those mm-hmm. kind of took a, a little hit because it was like, um, I just become, you know, full of this anxiety and it lasted for about uh, probably about three weeks. I would mm. say probably a good three or four weeks it lasted. And it was exacerbated by some external events. Like my freelance job that I had just kind of like ended abruptly. So that was like, first you got income in coming in every two weeks and all of a sudden you don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those are real <laughs> things. And this is like right before Corona. Yep. So like, I, I remember, you know, what I, I yeah, remember. you know, and it was the crazy thing. It was literally the day after I met and signed up with you. So it was like the day after it was like, okay, boom, we about to get this thing going with the publishing, got my little income. I can do some Facebook ads, you know, it was like all this thought about what I could do. And it was like the next day. And then the universe was like, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) Right. So that was a little, you know, honestly, that was extremely, well, I'm not going to say extremely devastating because it came out of nowhere. Like the trigger being pulled came out of nowhere, but the idea that the trigger could be like, it was a gun in the house. Like the trigger could have, exactly. could have been pulled. It was it didn't come out of like, nowhere. Where did this come yeah. from? Like, how did this- like, I knew it could happen. I just didn't know it was going to, that was that sort of yeah. thing. I knew it could, I just didn't yeah. know it was going to, um, when it happened. So anyway, um, yeah, it was like, I noticed that the writing that I was doing, the, the depth and the, the amount of time it took me to do the writing took a hit. So the depth mm. took a hit. Usually I can be very thoughtful with my writing. It like it like I said it pours through and it just kind of spills out on the page and I'm generally very happy with it. But th- for like 3 weeks it was just I ain't had nothing to say. You know what I mean? Like I just <laughs> felt like I ain't had nothing to say. <laughs> Like I, and I was looking back at it, I, and since then, because I write for the podcast, I write far in advance. Mm-hmm. So since then, I've gone back and and I've rewritten some mm. of the stuff that it was like some of it anyway. It was like normally I would write maybe fifteen hundred words for these little, it's like these little monologues that happen before the podcast really jumps off. And mm-hmm. people who listen to the podcast will know what it is. It's a little uh, preamble before the actual story starts, and normally those are about. 1,500, 2,000 words, somewhere in that ballpark, and they might be about eight to 10 minutes. Girl, I was writing these things. It was like 30 seconds. It was like oh, 45 no. words. And, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, I, I was like, I felt like I just did not have anything to say. So how did, so, you, how did you overcome that? Um, again, sometimes it, when, I, when I said earlier, sometimes you meet people or you get a book or you get a something or another happens when you need it. 
mm-hmm. it was just like I was feeling so awful. And again, it wasn't because of the job. I mean, it's just a, it was just a job. You know what I mean? It wasn't because right. of that, but it was really what the job was providing, like a sense of I didn't have to think about how I was going to get groceries. I didn't mm-hmm. have to, th- you know, you don't have to think about it. That was what it it provided. It wasn't that I necessarily wanted to do, like I was woke up excited to do that job. I I didn't honestly. I'm just gonna be, and the universe knows that. Like you don't need to be doing. Like honestly, you you really sometimes have to look at when things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote a one of the preamble, one of the cold opens was about this. Like everything that happens in our lives, we ask for it. We we may not want to admit it. We ask for it. So most things I don't believe happen to us. It happens and we just are a part of it. I'm not going to say it happens mm-hmm. for us either because sometimes it doesn't happen for us. <laughs> but um, how, did I, how did I get through that was I was on the internet, just like probably Instagram or something. And I saw a, an ad for this guy named Jeffrey Allen. And I was like, I've made a mental note like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm always on Mind Valley anyway. I love Mind Valley. It's, oh, Mind Valley is so good. <laughs> yeah, and and Jeffrey Allen, I'd never heard of him, but I was like, okay, let me make a little side note to remember to go and watch his masterclass. And so later that night, I was like, all right, I'm gonna go, and I couldn't remember his name for some reason. I don't know. I couldn't remember his name. I was like, I'll remember what he looks like when I see him. So, <laughs> so I, I was supposed to be taking a note to listen to Jeffrey Allen, but then didn't take the note and then went to my Valley that night and was like, I'll remember him when I see him. Mm-hmm. And then I saw like six different dudes and I was like, well, I know it's not this guy because he wasn't black. And I know it's not this guy because he wasn't there, but I don't remember really who I was looking for. And I f- found... <laughs> I found uh, Neil, his a guy by the name of, um, I found Neil Donald Walsh. Um, he had a masterclass on this. So I'm like, all right, I'm in a masterclass mood right now. So I'm just going to take this. Yes. So I took it and it was like, that thing was life changing. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm looking for Jeffrey Allen and I've since gone back and taken the Jeffrey Allen one and it has been very useful. But the Neil, I have a list of people, like I keep an Evernote list of the year, the month, and the event that was, and I call it Game Changers. Oh. And for 2019, Neil Donald Walsh was a, has been a game changer. And I mean that like when my whole world kind of shifts mm. um, when I've experienced this person. And usually it's a person. It's very seldom an event. It's usually a person. And, it, and it, they don't have to be people. I, most of these, actually none of these are people I know. It could have just been something Oprah said or something that Colin Cowherd talked about on his radio show or TV show. And and it, it resonates so much with me that it, it just becomes a game changer. So I wrote Neil down and I hadn't had a And I looked at I was like, dang, I haven't had a game changer since 2017. Mm. So we had 18 go by, 19 go by, and there wasn't anyone added to the game changers list. Mm. Um. But he was, when I took that masterclass and I advised anybody, if it's still there, I don't even know. They rotate those things. But um, Neil Donald Walsh is an author and he does a lot of stuff. And he has this book called Conversations with God. Mm. And I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. It's probably literally self-explanatory by the, by the, uh, by the title. But some of the questions he was asking was why is like I'm a good person why is my life always in peril like why is it always not going the way that it should like and I'm using should I'm using a whole lot of language that you know 
I probably shouldn't be using. And I'm then I just said shouldn't again. Shouldn't be using. Yeah, right. I'm trying to get better at, you know, being a writer, sometimes words are not the best thing to describe things. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing I'm starting to realize. But oh, yeah, I know, right? Words. Right. But I just would say that really changed my life. The questions that he asked, and what I did was I went and, you know, got the audiobook. Because the audiobook is a great experience because instead of it being one author reading to you, he has three authors, three uh, narrators or three voices mm. that are delivering the information to you. And I read the book while listening to the audiobook because it's a very deep book and you need to see the words. You can't just listen to the audiobook on this one. You could, you can't, mm. I'm not gonna tell you what you can't do. You could, but for me, it was better to see the words while hearing the voices read, you know, deliver those same words and it took probably the different experiences um what do you mean listening to the audiobook versus reading the book versus doing both at yeah, the same time yeah definitely definitely and so um did that and it took probably about a week, probably 7 days to get through it cuz mm-hmm. it's it's not a short book but it was it, it was one of those things where you want to digest the information so you don't just do it straight Mm-hmm. And it was it was amazing. And it really did help comfort. Like, I've been, like, very serene since then. Like, and this was maybe five weeks ago, maybe four or five weeks ago. But it helped. Yeah. It helped an awful lot with, like, okay, you, you're fine. You know what I mean? Like, like calm down. Like, everything we find. <laughs> you know, because sometimes that's what anxiety is. You're pulling your hair out because you don't know what's happening tomorrow. You don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen in five minutes. And you're worried about it. Yeah, instead of focusing on the moment and the present. That's some real uh, meditative (laughs) (laughs) information right there. I I definitely, I definitely understand that. I do, I I put conversations with God on my list along with Way of the Peaceful Warrior. um, Because I, I do sometimes get caught up and I think a lot of us get caught up in focusing on the future and trying to prepare for the future mm-hmm. as opposed to just appreciating where we are and what we have despite not having what we think we should quote unquote yeah, have. What we need what we think we need or well, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's fantastic uh i like how you used what was presented to you from the universe uh to get over that writer's block that wasn't writer's block. That was kryptonite. Kryptonite, writer's <laughs> block, potato, if you potato. Ask me, if you ask me, <laughs> no, because if you ask me, do, do I get writer's block? I would say no, I've never gotten writer's block. Because even during that time, it wasn't, I wasn't blocked. I just, it just wasn't what I wanted. Like I could still it write. It wasn't what you wanted yeah. to say. Yeah, it was. Okay, yeah. that's true. <laughs> I don't think right. I've ever. You convinced yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I've ever really, because I probably, I think writer's block probably comes from forcing it. And mm. I'm just, this is just my assumption. I, you know, and, and you may not feel like you're forcing it, but a lot of times I think people who get writer's block might be on some kind of deadline. Maybe it's, and it could be self-inflicted or it could be a deadline from their publisher or a deadline from their mm. school. And Probably. I just can't do it. You know, it's like that pressure. But, it's like performance anxiety. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what it is. But because I, I, to this end, I haven't written with a true deadline. Like most of the deadlines are my own. So, mm-hmm. I, so even though I always meet them, I still, there's a sense of relaxation and flexibility. Like if I don't meet it, then I don't meet it. You mm. know what I mean? It's not really a that's big true. deal. Even though I, again, I, I always meet it. 
But I think because I put it on my, it's my deadline. Right. I don't feel the same pressure um, that something bad is going to happen to me. Like I'm going to get right. dropped from my publisher if I don't meet this. You know, I don't have that kind of pressure. So I usually write when I feel the need to write, which is often. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't get really blocked um, in, in any way. That's good. Now, as you can hear, we're having a lot of fun doing this interview. In fact, this was a very detailed interview. Um, probably lasted about two hours. I'm going to cut it short right here, but next week I'm going to bring you the other half of this interview. So please tune in next week to hear the continuation of this interview with Sovereign Noir Publications. And then um, we have some more coming up for you in the following weeks that'll just give you some more insight about the project where it's going because we have some exciting things on the docket and please stay tuned for the release as i mentioned the digital release of episode two the no of the novella series and as i mentioned you can learn more about that on our website at ofmusicandmen.com and of course if you're a patron you can look out for that because uh, as i mentioned you will be getting it as a part of your membership uh the digital version of that so patrons are fortunate in that way but if you're not a patron you can go to patreon.com uh, slash of music and men and sign up to be a patron to learn more about the artists that were featured on this episode of just a couple of songs uh, you can check that out in our show notes and there will be links to their material right there in the show notes so check that out see you next week mm -hmm.